When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's up, guys? It's Ash Bennington. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Joining me today is Matteo Dante Peruccio. Matteo, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Lots to talk about. We'll be back in just one second. But first, we want to talk about a quick programming note. We often get questions from our viewers about which Real Vision membership is right for them. So we're hosting an AMA on it with Maggie Lake and Rao Pal. That's 10 a.m. Eastern time this coming Wednesday. Now, let's take a quick look at price action happening right now in Bitcoin, trading at 29,192. It's up, uh, oh, call it about uh, three-tenths of 1% here in the last 24 hours, basically flat. Seven days, it's down about two and a quarter percent. Ethereum trading right now at $1,858 on my screen. Trailing 24 hours, it's up about 85 one-hundredths of 1%, call it about 1%. Trailing seven days down about 2% on Ethereum. Matteo, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Excited to talk to you. I should have said at the top of the show, you are, of course, President International of Wave Digital Assets. You've got a very long history in the traditional asset management business, traditional investing business. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you made the transition into the digital asset space. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here, especially given the color of my beard. I'm probably not the average age of most of your participants, but uh, it's great to be on. Um, yeah, my, my journey was uh, an interesting one. So my, my past experience, you know, I've run some very large asset management companies, was on the board of directors of FTSE regulated, uh, listed uh, asset managers, traditional and active asset managers. And then I had my own boutique. I managed $2 billion of the British telecom pension schemes, alternative um, assets. So in, in the hedge fund world for a long time. Um, and about in 2016, 17, I was approached by, I, I was starting to back away from the traditional world um, for a whole host of reasons, primarily because it was becoming arduous as an industry. Um, and uh, I was, you know, sort of feeling a bit stale. And then, uh, and then I, I got in, in, involved in, uh, with, with a group that was very early in wanting to create, they had seen that this industry was going to need an institutional infrastructure and they were trying to build a managed account platform for crypto hedge funds. But, you know, it, it, things have moved so fast. If we think back to what this world looked like in 2017-18, what a crypto hedge fund meant was, you know, a guy in a hoodie managing a portfolio and up a thousand percent 
with no stop loss, risk management, compliance. Uh, you know, so it, it, it was a, it was a different world. It was a wild west as we remember, and um, and it was exciting. But um, I, I had knew had no knowledge of crypto, and uh, but they wanted my my assistance in counseling them about how to create an infrastructure that would 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 resonate with institutions eventually because they were con they were convinced about five years too early that institutions would eventually want to get access to the space and in order to do that they would want they wouldn't have the knowledge base to understand how to do due diligence on managers to understand their strategies and so on so they wanted you know to, if you had institutional quality uh due diligence being done on the managers that would help so fast forward uh I was super skeptical of, I, I was very bullish on the blockchain as a technology. I understood the blockchain. I understood you know, partially the possibilities of the blockchain. I didn't understand crypto and tokens. And, um, and so I decided to dive into it. And like many people you hear, you know, I went down that rabbit hole and came out and said, oh my God, this is, just a light bulb went off. So many similarities to things that I remember, some innovations in my past experience, and remembering how people talked about those innovations, and it, it just resonated. It was it was it was such a metaphor, you know. I, people forget about things like, um, you know, even something as, as as mainstream now as emerging markets. Thirty years ago, right? And when you talked about investing in Russia or investing in South Africa or investing in Ecuador, that that was like investing in the moon. And people didn't have a knowledge base. They didn't have the skill sets. They weren't in proximity. And so, I, and I remember people saying, this is never going to take off. And I remember, I remember a very specific conversation of someone saying to me, you know, I'll never invest in China, in Chinese equities. Uh, it's the wild west. And, you know, now you can't even imagine not having exposure to China, right? So I think w that, that hit me about crypto. I was, I was kind of like, wow, this is really going to change the way we transact in the financial world. And I want to be part of it. So I just kept learning and learning and, uh, and uh, decided I wanted to get, you know, get involved personally and professionally in the industry. Right. You know, I spent a bit of time early in my career working in the tech space. I think a lot of us who were interested in the blockchain, who really wanted to explore the underlying technology, were just fascinated by some of the utility of the blockchain, some of the potential use cases. Let me ask you this, how do you tie together in your mind the utility, the functionality on the blockchain with the valuation component of the digital asset token universe? See, that's a super complex <laughs> and problematic question. I know. Um, there's lots of people that are trying to associate, and, and, and by, by the way, it, it, it merges, as you know, emerges into you know the latest rulings on XRP and the whole conversation about you know what that rep what the token represents. Right. And I heard a fascinating interview that you did, I think, with the chief legal counsel of Kraken. Um, yeah. uh, and you know, talking about how focused we were on the asset. Uh, you know, the, the concept of the token itself representing a security as opposed to the transaction, the the investment contract which is the more important component. So go, but going back to your point, um, when, I look at, when I look at this universe, it's just so broad. It reminds me a little bit again, and, and I apologize if I speak in analogies, but it's a, it's a weakness I have. But uh, it, it reminds me so much of, of when I used to go to speak to people who didn't know much about hedge funds. They would say something to me that I found just so incredibly frustrating. And they would say, I, I don't like hedge funds. 
And I'd say to them, well, what, what does that mean? I, I, I don't know what that means. Do you not like long short strategy? Do you not like merger arb? Do you not like event? Do you not like, what, what don't you like about it? And I hear the same thing about, I don't like crypto or, you know, I don't believe tokens have value. Which token? And which underlying underlying um, uh, technological infrastructure? So I, I think there's there's an argument to be made to sort of split. I, I do a very I'm you know I'm not a programmer. I don't come from the tech world. So I, I apply a very um, a very simplistic, if I may, simplistic filter on that uh, of this universe. And I kind of split it up into three types of tokens. You know, and there are tokens to me that are easier to value because they represent an underlying business model. Um, and those tokens, you know, like Solana, and I can I can get my head around easier understanding why uh, Filecoin or Solana we could we could create a valuation model for those because there's there's a business model that is 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 dependent on that token the token right. dependent business model. There's yeah, a lot whatever of the whatever the success or failure of the underlying model, it's very clear to be able to see how the cash flows relate to the underlying valuation. You can apply sort of traditional uh, metrics and analysis uh, on that. Again, not su suggesting that they're all going to be successful, but at least you understand the parameters for how they would succeed or fail in theory. Right. I, I totally agree. And so I think, you know, I think the problem is where because this industry moves at such a fast pace, and um, I think I heard you say one time, um, you know, we're, we're constantly talking about the next, um, you know, this is, this is it. You know, moment in crypto. Um, I think they have been this is it moments. These are all this is it moments. We're, we're living through something that we have never seen a velocity of change in a financial industry like we've seen in crypto. The evolution of, you know, if you think you're, you know, many of your listeners will not remember the, ad, the advent of derivatives when they first started. But, you know, derivatives when they first started were black magic, you know, until we had contracts. To solidify those relationships in order to trade derivatives and and to, and to transact with, with in a trusted way between two parties, and then it accelerated exponentially. But even that acceleration was slow by the standards of the world today. And so I think, I think where we we need to realize that the, you know that there will there will constantly be new tokens. But um, I, I am absolutely convinced that the landscape that we look at today will be entirely different in 10 years. I don't I, I don't believe that 80% of the tokens that we're talking about today will be meaningful in a conversation in 10 years, much like social media platforms, much like other tech platforms, the things that right. we talked about. And I, I guess I just finished by saying, you know, I always remind my audience uh, about BlackBerry. And, you know, at the height of BlackBerry, if I told you, you know what, it's not gonna exist in three years, uh, you know, you would have laughed me off the show and said, this guy's a nutcase. Um, but that's what happened, right? So technology is a, is a fickle thing and it's amazing. Well, there's still, you know, BlackBerry, interestingly enough, they're still kicking around, right? It's well, like they're, yeah. they're making and I mean, the usage yeah. should have yeah. should have been more precise. I mean, everyone, I, you know, I, in my professionally, and you know, I, ran, I ran a firm with, you know, uh, about 25,000 people and, you know, we all had Blackberries and that's yeah. how you did business. Yeah. Nobody had a mobile phone. Nobody, you know, worked on an Apple phone. Right. So.
Yeah, it's it's a fascinating story. They just made a great movie about it. That's uh, it's on pay per view now or on Amazon, whatever, uh, and you can watch it. It's it's fantastic. But I, I did some research about what they're what they're doing today, and apparently they're involved in uh, back end security and encryption software, which is That's which right. is really fascinating. But as as you point out, it's, you it's know, probably is going to give them a huge. I mean, the the crypto advent of the crypto industry is probably giving them a huge, uh, you know, new new uh, approachable market. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So let me ask you this, because I, I think it's a fascinating topic that you've brought up, which is the this landscape of, of sort of trying to get out of the day-to-day price valuation, day-to-day price fluctuation type of mindset, and to think about what the space looks like more broadly in, say, a decade. What can we say about that? How do you think about that? framework for where we're going in a decade's time, other than saying uh, it's probably not going to look the way it does today? Well, I, look, I, I, can, I can give you an idea of why, why Wave Digital appealed to me. By the way, I should say um, uh, my, our compliance people are very, very se- serious, and um, we are SEC regulated, so any opinions I give on this show are my own personal opinions. They don't reflect the opinions of, of, of Wave Digital. But um, you know, Wave when it was born, uh, it, it, from the first day we were founded, we were regulated in the state of California. So, which which at a time when people weren't searching out regulated counterparties, didn't really matter. It was a highly unregulated industry. Um, but we understood from the very beginning that that was going to be really important. And um, and I think when we also looked at this this asset class from a wealth preservation and wealth management perspective. From the very beginning, which is, if I can explain that, why why that's so different. If we think back, it was all about capital appreciation in the early days of crypto. You bought you you bought your your crypto and you held it right, and it appreciated you know a thousand times, and everybody was getting rich, and it was an exciting time. Um, so the the solutions were mostly trading and momentum driven uh, strategies. We we identified the volatility as a really interesting characteristic of this industry very early on. And started to, you know, to to work in derivatives to create yield, um, on and looking at the yield possibilities of crypto, and so I think, you know, I think that mindset has served as well because the industry has morphed and changed as we've gone through two winters now, and you know now we're in this band where um, you know it's it's very hard to extract, you know, capital appreciation without actively trading. So I think what we really need now is, and what's happened, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously saddened by many of the events that have happened in the industry, but I'm not surprised by them right. uh, at all. It was an unregulated industry, and um, I think they were necessary. And you know, we were we were very fortunate to have avoided all of those those debacles. I, and, you know, and I, I kind of would argue if you had good risk management and common sense and feet on the ground, a lot of the stuff didn't look like it made a lot of sense at the time. Um, so we were very fortunate to avoid that. And so 
to me, I think now we're getting, you know, some of the the survivors of that of of this this phase, this very difficult phase in crypto, who um, who are the good players, good actors, most of them have learned lessons and or already knew what to do. So we've got that component, which is continuing to grow, and I would put us in that category. And then you have a lot of a lot of tradfi new entrants coming in now. And I think that's going, it's hard to change, distract people from, you know, something that made them so much money, right? That, that watching the price of Bitcoin was an exciting, you know, day-to-day -day endeavor, you know, you know, five years, six, seven, eight years ago. I mean, you, every day it was a new high and you were making money and it was exciting. Um, now it's, you know, now we have to look at it as maturing industry. It's still very immature um, in the natural evolution of a financial industry. But it's, um, yeah, so I, I think it'll come. And I think as we get more, ser you know, more serious actors in, um, involved, uh, their focus, like ours, is going to change the way people think about their crypto and start thinking about risk managing crypto about it as part of a portfolio and not just a, um, a speculative investment. So talk a little bit about just that point, which is interesting to me. Uh, how do your clients sort of ask these questions of you about the risk management component, how you guys think about the, your time horizons, uh, and some of the other uh, points that you just made? So it changes a lot depending on the moment in time, what the, what the fixation is. Um, if you remember uh, the post-Madoff, Everybody focused on on custody and administration because right. that's where the money was hidden, right? There was no money there. And then they found that out. So then all of a sudden, that became the number one question on a due diligence questionnaire. That's what clients wanted to know about. Well, how is my money custodied? How is it held? And, you know, it's not dissimilar in the crypto context, right? As we have, a, you know, an event which flares up, um, you know, if you were creating yield in CFI, and uh, then the Celsius happens. Um, the clients are incredibly concerned about counterparty risk on CFI, right? So the good news is that we've always been very um, attuned to the fact, having been crypto native, uh, very attuned to the fact that counterparty risk is everything. And understanding, being deep in the ecosystem, and understanding um, the you know the risk parameters of your counterparties, how they're operating. Are they operating in a way that that when you, you know, because we would do due diligence on all of our parties. So I would say that's a long-winded way of saying um, most of our clients first now are, it's about security. It's about, you know, what do you, how can I be sure that you helping me invest my money, that you're doing it in a way that I'm not, it's not going to disappear, that it's safe, that you're using institutional quality part parties and and of course being sec regulated that's that's an important component for us anyways right right well it's so interesting as you frame that uh with the madoff example and also uh with the example over at celsius and c5 more generally uh it's interesting because it, it almost sets up this situation where it's the the case of generals fighting the last war uh, obviously, there's a tension that's raised. There's focus for places where you've seen uh, these breakthroughs uh, in the past. But it, it almost makes you wonder, uh, what are the new risks that might be coming down the horizon? How do you guys think about that? Do you have a view about what the next potential risk parameter might be? Well, I think, I think 
you know, DeFi is a super interesting area. I am not an expert. I want to put the caveat, but um, we we are, and um, and being deep in that ecosystem of DeFi, that's that's um, that's a place where you really need to understand your counterparty risk, technology risk, hacking risk, security. Um, there's there's so anytime there's new technologies, and the, and the new technology, the frustrating thing is the new technology is what makes this industry so exciting. Right. And it gives it so much potentiality. It's also what makes it so risky. Right. Um, because, you know, anything new put together, any any new innovation, as we see in all industries, not just this industry, put together with, with financial um, incentives, it's kind of a bad recipe, usually, because people push things out before they're ready to be pushed out. And, and you know, they, we've seen it with some of the best companies where their products crash or, <laughs> or they have bugs because they, you know, they have commercial objectives. So I think, I think um, the risks are constantly changing the risk horizon. Obviously, we have a, a very complex world regulatory environment, um, and which I, you know, we have always said, and I, I think is overdue. We need we need regulation. We need clarity. Um, I think that's that's the hard part is clarity. You know, I've seen you've done a couple of shows on you know XRP and what that means, and you know. Everybody talks for a half hour and then ends it with, but, you know, we'll see. Still not clear. <laughs> right. So it's a bit frustrating. You know, you, I, we, we all are begging for this confirmation bias moment where they say, this is how everything's treated. Now get on with it and do business. You know, I guess, I mean, the only way it seems to me, at least that that's going to be definitive is when you get actual law from Congress, which doesn't seem to be forthcoming anytime soon. Well, you know, it, it, it's a fascinating, I mean, you know, it's fascinating to watch, you know, I can speak more to what's happening around the world. And um, it's really interesting phenomenon to see the difference this time around between how the Anglo-Saxon, and I, and I don't, I don't put, the U.S. is obviously the largest, and, but, but the U.K. is in some respects similar. And I'm not as familiar with Australia. But I think it's kind of similar. The Anglo-Saxon approach has been quite different from most of the rest of the world. Um, you know, in, in Europe, uh, with Mika, they, they've they've kind of decided to define. You use definitional regulation, so to say, we're defining these things as this, and they'll be treated this way. So once you've got those three points clear, then you know how to handle them. And now you might disagree, you know, you might disagree if they define stable coins in this way or that way, where they want to tax them as income or, or capital gains. But at least you can go forward with the business. And I think, um, you know, the, the MENA region, Middle East Dubai has, and, and I don't know how much they talk about it in the U.S., but um, VARA, the regulation in... Um, in Amina is quite is quite avant-garde and really thoughtful. They have the virtual asset regulatory authority they created. They created a separate authority for it, um, and they've staffed it with people expert in it. and And uh, I think it's and and they're and it's not a surprise that they're attracting a huge amount of inflow from all over the world of new startup projects in blockchain um, and crypto because you know there there's an environment where you can have a dialogue you know, and, and, and build. And I think, you know, we're just seeing a, a shift around the world of, of domiciles that weren't really substantive in the past, sort of taking their slice of the pie, you know, because this industry is global. 
Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm kind of curious if this sort of different regulatory framework elsewhere in the world internationally versus the United States uh, can change potentially the degree of asset allocation, meaning uh, do you, will you see allocators from places where you have greater regulatory clarity feeling more comfortable around the asset class and therefore investing in it to a greater extent? Yes. Um, yes, you will. I think, um, however, let's not forget the U.S. is still a, you know, it's the leading economy in the world and it's the largest capital market in the world. So, you know, I don't want to overstate the fact that um, it is really important that uh, the U.S. get it right. And I'm sure in time we will. Um, but yeah, I think you, what you're finding is you're finding those allocators, you know, where there are pockets of capital that are outside of the United States are, um, are going to allocate to this space much easier. Um, we've seen it a little bit in Switzerland and Germany. You know, I don't know if you're, if you're aware, I'm sure you are, but Germany about, I, can't, I think now it's two years ago, they allowed their, uh, these, these special pension, pension I, can't, I can't pronounce it in German, but they, uh, they're, they're these specialist pensions to invest in crypto. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, that's going to help. It's going to help adoption. It's going to help um, uh, advance the cause of crypto in that, in that geography. And Switzerland has also been very, you know, we, we're expanding into Switzerland. Um, and uh, it's purposeful. It's our hub, our international hub. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because crypto has been a leader, really uh, uncharacteristically, generally, Switzerland is a, is a follower market, both from a regulatory and, and financial innovation perspective. It's a very conservative market generally. In crypto, with Crypto Valley and the regulators being very ahead of the game, you know, they were the first domicile to, to actually codify in law NFTs uh, so that you can actually go to court and sue trademark um, infringement and so on. And it has a juridical status in the country. Um, and you know, they have, they have, um, they've been very open to, to sort of letting the market operate. They've been very focused on licenses and making sure that the players that can act in that space are good standing in good standing. And then they let them act and, you know, see how that market evolves. So it's a, it's a different approach, but, um, but so far it's been, been pretty interesting to watch. Yeah. I should say, by the way, viewers, put down your questions in the chat. We're already asking the best ones on air. Remember, Real Vision members take priority. If you're not a member yet, go to realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up. It's free. I should say, we've already got questions coming in. First one comes to us from Ralph from the Real Vision website. You mentioned Wave Digital using crypto to create yield with derivatives. Can you expand on this, please? Yes. Um, I cannot, again, for SEC reasons, I can't speak about any specific product or, or performance, but um, I can talk in generalities about the fact that, for example, in, in a market very, very much the same way that in the equity markets, if you have a, a stock which has a degree of volatility, you can sell COVID calls on that stock um, out of the money. So let's say, you know, at the beginning of the month, the stock is worth 100 and uh, somebody else thinks it's going to be worth 110. 
you write a 10% out of the money and cover call with that counterparty. If the stock goes to 109.9, you pocket a very attractive, well, either way you, you, you pocket an attractive premium um, and you keep, you keep your gains up to 109.99. If it goes to 110.1, then it gets exercised. You've earned up to 110, uh, but you've lost any upside if it goes to 120 in that same month. Um, and Bitcoin, if you thought, you know, very early on, we kind of thought about Bitcoin and you know, now it's a quite a, I think a relatively common strategy that some people employ, but we thought about it and said, this is a perfect asset for this. It has a high degree right. of volatility and yet it has a, it has, which we don't find often in equities of similar characteristics, an upward trajectory. When an, if an equity had 80 or 90% volatility, it probably would not have an upward trajectory over time. Um, you know, so that's the interesting, you know, th that, that's a very simple example. Then there's obviously way more complex, uh, and complicated strategies. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, I think it's always great to walk through these examples because I think it helps people to understand, uh, some of the potential, uh, framework for thinking about how it works on the crypto side. Uh, next question comes to us from SAS finance on YouTube. Any thoughts on Brazil as a market for crypto? How about Brazil? I, it's an, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know it personally. I mean, in the sense that I don't have a huge amount of personal involvement with Brazil, but I, but peripherally, I have come across some really sophisticated funds out of Brazil in crypto. And it, 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 I, it seems to me a very crypto friendly, um, environment. It's just that, you know, it's one of those markets where you really kind of need to be in the market in order to understand it. And, and operate there effectively. But, um, you know, it's a big market and it's, it is definitely crypto friendly. They passed some, some relatively friendly legislation. So yeah, I would, I would give it a, you know, a thumbs up in terms of, uh, if, if you're thinking about whoever it is thinking about, you know, looking into Brazil, it's, I've heard a lot of good things about it. Mateo, oh, great having you on the show today. Always a pleasure to have people on from the TradFi space. who have a lot of background, a lot of experience there to apply that knowledge and wisdom here in the crypto space. Always enjoy that. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with. Well, you know, I wish, I wish in a way, I'm assuming your audience is, is way more crypto savvy than the average person because they wouldn't probably be on this if they weren't. But because uh, if they weren't, if it wasn't that audience, I would say stop asking if crypto is going to be around in a couple of years. This is a, we, it's here to stay. It's a fascinating industry. And um, I, I think we, we need to stop talking to ourselves. I think my final point would be, I think this industry has one, one illness and it's, we love to hear our own voices and talk to ourselves. And, and, and that, that's understandable because it comes from the history of you're wanting to take on the establishment. And I get that. And I think there's a lot of value in that. At the same time, I think there's a lot of experience out there. I, I count myself as one of those people that, you know, if, if it can add some value and I'm learning, I've learned a ton from the crypto community. So I think that that dialogue right. should, should improve. Yeah, that's well said. And it's very much a two-way street. And I think uh, obviously a lot of experience on the traditional finance side for people who've just been in the space for decades, such as yourself, who understand some of the risks and the opportunities. Uh, and then interestingly enough, the, the folks who are developing these technologies have insights and ways of seeing the world that people who have been, you know, for example, embedded in the status quo for decades probably don't see. Uh, that's one of the reasons why these conversations are so much fun to have here on Real Vision uh, and why we appreciate you joining us so much.
Thank you very much for having me. That's it for today. Make sure to check out our website, realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free to sign up for crypto content. Tomorrow on the show, Elaine will be joined by Somi from InPeak. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. in London. Thanks for watching, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.